0: All right, let's go to James chapter 5. Of course, James 5. Last part of verse 16, verse 17, and verse 18. I'm going to read that to you again. You should know it by now. I'm sure you've got it almost memorized. Then we'll have a word of prayer together. Last part of verse 16. The effective or the fervent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Heavenly Father, we've seen this passage quite a few times now, as we picked off the fruit of those these, those things that are before us. We have much to glean, much to glean. Help us with it, we pray today. Draw our hearts towards you. The topic is faith. And without you, there wouldn't be a topic. There wouldn't be a prayer. There wouldn't be a life. And we're so grateful for what you've done for us. As we reflect on these words, may they have uh, impact into our hearts. Draw us closer. Help us to walk even better than we have before with our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now last week I started this sermon that's right here in my hand. I started the sermon with you. I called it the, the three lessons from the drought. But this pastor has had a whole week to work on it some more. It's not three lessons anymore. It's now four. Um <laughs> And if I had to work through it again, we'd have more, I think. Because the more I I look at it and think about it, the more I say, you know, there's something here that I don't want to miss. And so I bring up another point. So we have got actually four lessons from the drought. We covered two of them last week, so I guess we were halfway in what we needed to do. But the point, as we've been emphasizing here, is we're talking about a living faith. Not just faith dry, dusty, you know I have my creeds, I have my beliefs I have what I, what I live by but living faith that's the appeal in scripture all the way through is we are to be walking, right? we are to be looking there's this ing on a lot of the verbs that come our way that calls for us to do an ongoing thing and what's interesting is it's not designed for Sundays only Living faith works on a Monday, too. Do you know that? That's when we need it, probably more than Sunday. When you wake up to a Monday and you say, oh, here we go. Right? It's, it's a faith that should continue to be expressed in our life, the way we walk. And, and the emphasis, as you well know by now, is on prayer in this section of James chapter 5. And that is a vital combination you cannot separate these two things if you're going to walk by faith then you must be a person of prayer you must be you cannot say i'm going to be a person of prayer and not have faith that doesn't work because who are you trusting and you can't say i'm walking by faith and not talk to the one you're walking with that's called prayer He's to guide us and direct us. And that's what we're we're learning in this great gymnasium of life is how to be better walkers, living out our faith. And prayer is necessary because we are such needy people. And we have to go to our God to meet that need. And we have to trust Him with the answer. And that is what we've been looking up in this passage. Elijah has been our example. When he was told to go, he went. When he was told to speak, he spoke. When he was told to stay, he stayed. There's a lot in those lessons as I started with you last week. I've got to find which page this was. These are the things that Elijah is teaching us as an example. He had to pray according to God's will. I stressed that last time when I was mentioning the lessons that we learned. And I had it on one of these pages here. It's Not that one. There it is. Let me start right there. When he prayed, he prayed according to God's will. Here was the amazing thing as we compared the passages last week, and I'm not going to go over all that again to prove it, but the Lord told him what the Lord was going to do. He said, now you go to Ahab and you tell him, there's going to be no rain on the earth until I say so. He didn't say the calendar. He didn't say how long that would be. He didn't say anything about... Elijah praying for it, but he told Elijah what the news was. Elijah reported that in, but James tells us, and he prayed. And I think that's a very amazing thing to stop and look at. Because when we pray, sometimes we pray like we have no clue. But when you pray according to what you do know, that makes a difference. That makes a difference. I stress, of course, your knowledge of God's Word. I, I want that more than anything. That you not only know the truth, but you're walking in the truth. Second John, he talks to that effect to the lady he writes to. He says, I'm so glad to hear that your children walk in truth. And I think, well, that's exactly where we should be. We, we keep saying, learn this book. Learn this book. We spend time learning this book for a reason. So that we know the God we trust. We have to know Him. We have to know His character. We have to know His, his, his direction. We've got to know His plans. We've got to know His will for us. And this book gives it to us. We have to be people of the Word. And you know how that changes your prayer life? You're no longer praying like you have no clue of who He is or what He does or how He does it or if He's going to do it. But you're praying according to the person you know. You're praying to the one who you know. That makes a big difference. Elijah knew what God wanted, and he prayed accordingly. He prayed accordingly. He didn't wait for anything else to dictate to him, how do I pray? God said it. He did it. When God said, there's going to be no rain, Elijah prayed for that. (laughs) And I think that's amazing, because he already knew it was coming, but he prayed for it. He was in tune with what God had said to do. I want to encourage you on that point, just as you stop and think about it. When Scripture tells us to pray, and it does so often, let's not be ignorant, people, about our God, about how He works, His character, His plans. Let's not be ignorant. Let's know this book well so that when we pray, we know who we're talking to. And when He says He's going to do something, you can be very sure He will. And that's why... I, I like the fact that even at the end of the book of Revelation, after all those things are spelled out, what did John want? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And he just heard the whole thing. And in the end, he says, that's my prayer. Do it. Do it. Elijah said, do it. Now, Elijah was going to go through the drought too, folks. And that's what brought us to point number two. Point number one was that we are to pray according to God's will. Prayer number two, or item number two, what we're learning from our drought, is that we are to be praying with endurance. Elijah was going through the drought just like the rest of them. Yes, God did miraculous things that he was around and he saw. But he was in the same world that they were in. He was experiencing the same thing that they went through. He, he was in the middle of it all. And the endurance side of this was a little challenging. And I'm, I'm trying to be very careful to express how this endurance is seen. But I only picture it this way. In James chapter 5, verse 11, where it says, We count those who bless, blessed who have endured. Elijah was a man like that. He was a man who endured. He stayed under. That's the word, endured. To stay under. He wasn't looking for the escape route. He wasn't looking for the exit. He stayed under that. And he was going to stay true to that. Remember, it wasn't until Elijah said so that it was going to stay a drought. That's what he told the king. And you could only imagine, and my imagination gets kind of funny at times, but how many people knocked on his door and said, Elijah, we've had enough. Uh, Elijah, what, what is the deal? What, what, what do you got against us? It's that wicked king. Just, just make him have the drought. Just leave it on his wife. Let them have the drought. Why should we suffer too, Elijah? We're your neighbors, we're your friend. we're your family. Can you imagine a scene like this? Elijah, come on. It's been a year. And that's a long time for a drought. Elijah, it's been two years since it rained. Come on, Elijah. It's been three years, Elijah. Look, no grass. Nothing. It's a sad scene. It's a terrible scene. How many times he must have felt the burden of it. He stayed under it. He didn't leave, he didn't exit, he didn't say, okay, I'll talk to God about this and let's change the plans. He didn't do any of that. He said, God said, at a time, it would rain again. I'm going to wait. I'm going to endure it. Just like you have to endure it. We're going to endure it. We're going to go through. We're going to go through. We're going to go through. Even though he's probably being blamed for it. And I showed you last week in First Kings 18, they certainly were. They certainly were. Prophets were being killed. Obadiah is hiding them in caves. Everybody's looking for Elijah. He kept disappearing. They're going to find him. Obadiah says, Oh, don't make me go tell the king where you are because you won't be there when I come back. He says, Nope, bring the king in. Let me talk to the king. The king's first words are you the troubler of Israel? He blamed Elijah for the drought. <laughs> It wasn't Elijah's fault. the people were sinful. They had broken God's rules and laws, and they weren't following through. God had promised them that this would come upon them because of their disobedience. Elijah went through it too, and all the while he's being threatened and, and people are dying, and there are people in all kinds of terrible things, and it would be easier, it would be easier to quit. He didn't. He continued, I'm going to guess something. I'm going to guess that he didn't stop praying because of the nature of the man. I don't think he stopped somewhere and says, okay, Lord, I'll just, I'll just um, check out until you're done. I think he kept that in his prayer list all the time, this drought. Lord, when is it going to end? How much longer must we endure? Give me the strength to do it again. How many times we have trouble with endurance? We we think, well, it's easier to compromise than to stay where we are. It's easier to quit and do it the way everybody else does than to stay where we are. It's easier. I know it's easier. But we're called to endurance. Elijah a good example of that. I found that a lesson. We talked about that last week. Now, this is where I wanted to start turning into the next two as well. Because there's something that goes with the endurance, and that is persistence. And this one's a little bit different than endurance. There's a difference between endurance in prayer and persistence in prayer. Persistence, a practice of praying until you get what you are seeking. I brought this verse up last time. Let's go back to it again. Hold your bookmark here, however you do it, and go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter number 7. The verse is number 7. It's easy to remember that way. 7-7. Seven, seven. This is what Jesus said when he was instructing these, those who were listening to him and he mentioned the issue of prayer. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, all three words there, ask, seek, and knock, are imperatives. In other words, in the Greek, that's a command. That's a command. And what happens when you don't follow through with a command? (laughs) That's not a happy thing, is it? It's called disobedience. Wow, is it that serious? The Lord said it. Ask. In case you ever wonder, there's three words here. How do I remember? Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Spell it out. A-S-K. Ask, seek, knock. Pretty easy, huh? Ask. Here's the funny thing. You don't have, James would tell people, because what? You don't ask. Isn't that amazing? We live in a world that we have a God who runs everything. Do you know that? It's an amazing thing to stop and think of his sovereignty, how everything happens. We don't think about it, but the sun comes up. We say it comes up. It's been there and our earth just tilted so we could see it coming up for us. And who did that? He did. Who's the one that keeps it spinning the way it goes at the same speed all the time? Isn't that amazing? We don't have anybody out there saying, the earth is slowing down. We need to do something. We don't have that. We don't have a change. The God's design and his sovereignty, it just continues and continues and continues. And we get so used to it, don't we? Because we see the sun. We feel the the wind. We have oxygen. We say, okay, yeah, this is a normal day. Who's operating it all? He is. And that's an amazing thing to think of. And here when we come to this section, and we could say, well, I don't need to ask. He's going to provide, right? He says, no. Ask. Ask. Why does he give us that command? Because he wants us to come to him. He wants a personal relationship. So he says, ask. And when we don't ask, we're saying we don't need him. I hope you're not saying that. But that's what it comes down to. Ask. Keep on asking. Keep on asking. Keep on asking. And it will be given to you. Seek. Keep on seeking. Seek, seek, seek. Another command, and you will find. Knock. And knock, and knock, and knock. And it shall be opened unto you. You say... But does that mean anything? What if I want a good BMW? Is that what he's talking about? Well, I'm going to suggest this to you, because the more you get to know him, and the more you start to talk to him about these things, your prayer starts to become his will. Because you know him. You know him. Because he's at work in you, Philippians says, both to work and to will for his good pleasure. He's changing us. And I like that about this. This relationship is going to shape me to think and ask and seek and knock his way. And I'd much rather have it his way than my way. So we're called to do this. It's persistence. Now that verse is right there in Matthew 7, 7. It's in Luke chapter 11, verse 5 through 8, that Jesus illustrates that same verse. Matthew did not record it. Luke did. And he says in verse 5 of Luke 11, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. Now, would you like neighbors like that? Knock on your door and say, I need bread. I need bread right now. Three loaves would do. So, okay. No, this is what the friend says. My friend, I need three loaves. For a friend of mine has just come from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. But from inside the house, there's an answer. The answer in verse 7 says, don't bother me. Door's already shut. My children and I, we're already in bed. I cannot give up, get up and give you anything. No. But I tell you, Jesus says, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. This guy's not going to stop knocking until that need is met. Persistent, persistence in definition is not bashful. I think that's kind of a cool phrase. You know what? You don't have to be bashful with God. He already knows you, doesn't he? Yes. So he knows exactly who you are. Matter of fact, he even knows what you need before you ask it. Matthew 6 would tell you that too. He already knows. So why are we so afraid to bring it up? Why do we think we've got to walk all the way around the block with our words before we finally squeak in the little request? He already knows these things. After all, Jesus made it possible for us to approach the throne with what? Boldness. Hebrews tells us that. Boldness to enter into the throne to find grace in our time of need. What a special thing we have. Do you realize that? All these people in all their various religions and things that mean nothing anyway worship their rocks and their trees and their made-up gods and things like that. And they're trying to figure out, how am I going to appease him so he can help me? And all the while, you have a God who has opened the door wide for you to walk through because you're his children. Boldly, without bashfulness, with persistence to stand before him and say, this is what I need. And he knows it. And he's going to meet your need according to his will. And it's always perfect. Why do we hesitate? Why is prayer something we run away from? Because prayer is a spiritual thing. Prayer is a spiritual exercise. And unfortunately, as people, when it gets more spiritual, we get a little more fearful of it. And we start backing away from it because it looks too big. And, well, the only people who can really do that are like pastors or elders or college professors or somebody with big degrees, right? No. No. All of us have the same access to the Lord by prayer. We all have that. Don't be shy. Go and talk to him. He already knows. He already knows. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you shall find. Knock; it shall be given unto you. Now, here's the good news, folks. In James chapter 5, back where we were, let's look at verse 18. I've been leading up to this for a long time, but the point is persistence. And in verse number 18, it says, Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. What a happy day that must have been. Suddenly it starts to rain. But I'll tell you what, that was not a real happy day. The events that took place during that time were amazing. I want to show it to you, because I'm going to show you the nature of persistence. You ready? Go back with me to First Kings chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18. Verse number one, three and a half years later, according to James. Verse number one. Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go and show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. All right. Go talk to Ahab. It's going to rain. Did Elijah know it was going to rain? Yes. He knew it was going to rain. So Elijah went and showed himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. We've seen all that. We've talked about how Obadiah was hiding prophets because Jezebel was killing them. We know how Ahab and Obadiah were out in the uh, hills looking for grass to keep their horses uh, and their mules alive. And we've read some of these stories before. We say, this is what... Elijah has gone through, He's he's gone to see Obadiah, Obadiah, he says, go find uh, uh, Ahab for me, and he had a big conversation with that. So we're going to skip a few pages here, and, um, not pages, verses, and go down to verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is this you, O troubler of Israel? He said, Elijah said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. Now, what would be the easiest thing to do at this point? Okay, God's been punishing you, right? He made that clear. Told him why. You would think, okay, here's your answer. Repent, and it will rain. But that wasn't the message God had told Elijah to say. Elijah, go tell him, it's going to rain. There's nothing in there about how Ahab came to understand the Lord is Lord. We don't have that. He has stubbornly held to his Baal worship and his evil practices for three and a half years. He has not changed. You would say, okay, so why did God say, okay, let's change this? Because he was getting weaker? No, God doesn't get weaker. (laughs) Maybe God's looking down and saying, you know, I'm really tired of dealing with this guy. I'm done. Let's just let it rain and be done with it. No. There's a lesson to learn. So, he meets with Ahab. What's Elijah tell him? I want you to send, verse 19, and gather me, to me, uh, all Israel at Mount Carmel together with 400 prophets of the Baals and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. He says, this is what I want to do. And apparently the Lord gave him instructions on this. It wasn't in the original material we had in the first part of the verse. So maybe the Lord told him to do this too. Tell him, we're going up to Mount Carmel. And when we get to Mount Carmel, I want you to bring everybody to witness this. Bring all of Israel in. Bring them all up here. Bring... 850 of your prophets. That's a lot. And bring them up to the mountain. Doesn't say what's going to happen. So verse 20, Ahab sent a message among the sons of Israel. Brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? Three and a half years of drought did not change their heart. They're still at that same place. Do you serve God or do you serve Baal? One other man said it almost that way once before. His name was Joshua. How long are you going to choose between the gods of the Canaanites and the Lord Jehovah who's led you this far? Choose this day whom you will serve. Do you remember that? Ahab says, here's the same thing. When Elijah says, you've got two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Now, you have to prove that he's God. Because if he is your God, serve him. Don't be in the middle on this one. Either serve God because God is God, the Lord, or serve Baal because he's God. Who's your God? This day, you're going to decide. Make your choice this day. The people would not answer him. He says to the people in verse 22, I alone am left as a prophet of the Lord. Baal's prophets are 450 men, plus the 400 of Asherah too. Let them give us two oxen. Let them choose one for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood and put fire under it. And I will prepare the other oxen and lay it on the wood and I will not put fire under it. All right? Put no fire under it, Either one. That's what I meant to say in verse 23. They are to prepare an offering. An ox. They are to set it up on the offering, where the wood is. They're not to light it. When you call on the name of your God, verse 24, and I will call on the name of my God, the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Is this a fair test? Yes! Although it's a challenging one. (laughs) Okay, there's your challenge. Whoever God answers with fire, that's God. And all the people said, well, that's a good idea. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, okay, you go first. This is my paraphrase, all right, from verse 25 and on. He says, you go ahead, you go first. So they went and they prepared their ox. They didn't put fire underneath it. They started to call on Baal from the morning until noon, screaming, yelling, yelling. Dancing around, oh, Baal, answer us, oh, Baal, answer us, send fire, quick, send They were leaping around the altars, it says. There was no voice from Baal. Baal didn't say anything. Elijah got into it a little bit, and he started to say, hey, (laughs) speak louder. He can't hear you. Uh, Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's asleep. Wake him up. Do something. The people went into a frenzy. They worked on it all afternoon. All afternoon, this is like a six-hour job on their part. And by this time, they're so they're so intense, they're cutting themselves with swords. They're bleeding. It says it gushed out of them, and they could not get their God to answer. It went on all day long until the evening sacrifice, and no answer. No answer. No answer. No answer. Elijah said, okay, time's up. Everybody come over here and watch. And Elijah called the people near to him, verse 30. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. He took twelve stones, verse 31 says, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. He says in verse, verse 32, So with the stones he built the altar of the name, in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold Two measures of seed. This is not a small thing. Then he arranged the wood and cut the oxen pieces and laid it on the wood. He filled pour, he called for them to fill four pitchers of water and pour it on the offering. Now how does that help with fire? It not only hit the offering, it covered the wood as well. Four times, or three times, They put down four pitchers of water. That's 12 pitchers of water dumped on top of it. It was saturated with water. Absolutely soaked all the way down. And the trenches were full. He just wanted them to understand something here. That God's not, He's not like the gods you think you have. My God could do anything. I want you to know what He can do. So they did that. The water flowed, it says in verse 35, around the altar and also filled the trench with water. Stop right there for a second. What has been going on for three and a half years? A drought! And what are they doing? Dumping four pitchers of water, three times each, on the altar. Isn't that Wouldn't that get your attention? You're like, shouldn't we save that water for something else? Well, Elijah knew what the rest of the day was going to bring. What was it? Rain. So he says, pour water on it. They pour water on it. Everybody else is stressing out. He's okay. Time of the offering came near. Watch verse 36 and 37. Watch these verses. They're very important. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel... Let it be known that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back again. That's his prayer. He's been praying for three and a half years about a drought. That should have changed their hearts. It didn't. And this is showing what he's been praying about all the time. He says, I I know, I know we need to pray. And he comes to the Lord and says, Lord, you've got to change your hearts. Only you could change a heart. Only you could turn a heart. And I come to you and I say, show them who you are. I like what happened in this prayer. Because as soon as he finished these words, words whoosh, the fire came down. It came down. It says in verse number 38, it consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and the water. Wow! Can you imagine that? Stand there for a minute and watch it. Boosh! Gone. Amazing, isn't it? That's amazing! Amazing! The fire of the Lord fell and consumed it. And the people saw it, verse 39. And they fell on their faces. And they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then he goes, Elijah seizes as the prophets of Baal and slew every one of them. You say, okay, that's what James is talking about, right? Elijah prayed again. Now that wasn't the prayer. That James is talking about. That happened. Yes. That was all part of the story. But what was it that happened? Verse number 44. 44. Jump over. After all these events, it came about the seventh time that he said, Behold a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. He said, What's that all about? That's an interesting verse. What's it mean? Back up. Verse 44, 41. Elijah says to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there's the sound of a roar of a heavy shower. This is right on the heel of all these things. Elijah says to Ahab, It's going to rain. Ahab went up to eat and drink. Elijah went up to the top of Carmel he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. He says, Go back. There's nothing. Go back. There's nothing. Go back. Nothing. Seven times. He kept sending him over there. Nothing there. Nothing there. It came about on the seventh time. His servant came back and said, behold, I see a cloud, small as a man's hand. It's coming up from the sea. And Elijah says, it's here. Go and tell Ahab, get in your chariot and take off, because it's raining. It's going to rain. Move. And in a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower. It says in verse 45. Why? I'm going to ask you something. Why did God answer the one prayer instantly with fire, and then go through all this with the answer to rain when the rain was already promised? You ever thought about it? Why didn't Elijah's one prayer be sufficient that God says, okay, it's time to rain? Why did he have Him go through it seven times before it rained? He didn't make him do that with the altar, the ox, the fire. Didn't God promise the rain? Yes. Did Elijah know it would rain? Yes. So why the need for prayer and prayer and prayer seven times over? It wasn't that the Lord needed convinced. <laughs> It wasn't that the Lord needed reminded. And I don't even think it was for Elijah's sake. I don't think it was for Elijah's sake. Elijah's servant was involved in this too. Ahab was involved in this too. All those people watching and waiting were involved in this too. And I think at times that the Lord would rather give a lesson on persistence... Before he gives the answer to the request. Because what does persistence teach us? To trust him with the answer. To trust him with the answer. He could have answered instantly, you've got it in the story. And he could have done it dramatically at that. But God said, nope, I'm going to let them keep asking. Because persistence goes with trust. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Why? Because it's building trust. It's building trust. We must believe that he has our good in mind. God had good in mind for them too. He was going to give them rain. But his timetable is better than ours. Always will be. And he never abandons his own. But he helps them to grow in their faith. So many times if we don't get in on the first request, what do we do? We quit and then we complain. I'm sorry. Just revealing myself to you for a minute. We quit and then we complain. Persistence. There's so many stories. Our time oh I hate the clock up there. We've got to fix that. So many times we get weary in prayer, folks. We stop just short of what we're called to do because we're tired. We quit. We're wore out. We say, he must not be listening to me. He doesn't hear me. He doesn't have my good in mind. He's not thinking about me. He's busy on other things. I need to wake him up. I can't wake him up. I give up. I give up. That's not the lesson Elijah is showing us here, is it? Persistence. He knew the answer, and yet he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. That lesson took three and a half years to learn. In our microwave society, that sounds like a lifetime. Because we want it now. And what does James tell us? And you know it just as well as I do now. Be patient. And be patient. And strengthen your heart, because that's where it's going to get, you're going to get in trouble. And don't complain. Lesson number three is persistence. We've had three things we've been taught so far. They're real simple concepts. Praying according to God's will. Praying with endurance. Praying with persistence. And one more, I told you, I added one more, and it'll just take one second to say it. Not quite one second, but you know what I mean. Pray with passion, people. Pray with passion. What's so cool about this passage in James chapter 5 is it says, In prayer he prayed. And those combination of words stopped me in my track. And I said, why do you say it that way? In prayer he prayed. Because I think it's like this. In prayer it's easy to mutter. In prayer, it's easy to be distracted. In prayer, it's easy to come up with our own ideas and instruct God of how it should be done. In prayer, we add so many things to it and so many things that are very human to us. We get sleepy. We get weary. We get busy. Our lives are complicated. We add all these other things and we go into prayer and what dominates? All those things that are in your heart and in your mind right now. Don't they? It's kind of hard to get them off your mind. I had a a song leader that worked with me in my first church. He worked all night long. I'll give him that. He came to church on Sunday mornings. He led our singing. And that was wonderful. He was a tired man. He fell asleep in his own offertory prayer. Right up at the front of the church. I was sitting right behind him, and he's up here praying, and I hear his head hit the podium. He kept on going with his prayer. Nobody else caught it, but I knew they fell out of my chair laughing. I said, what a great thing. we talked about that for years, how we fell asleep praying. I said, isn't that the way we are? What do you do in prayer? Pray. Do you see the emphasis? That's a passion. If I'm going to go into prayer, I'm going to pray. And that's what Elijah did. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Don't take the passion out of this because you're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you, what are you doing in your prayers? Fill in the blank. I hope your answer is in prayer, I pray. I pray. Those are the things I've been noticing in Elijah's life here. A man like you and me, but a man who prayed. And I think that's what we need to be too, people who pray. Heavenly Father, help us with these lessons. They are good for us to know, but they're good for us to practice. For we are called to walk by faith, and that means we need to pray. And as we pray, we need to pray. Keep our keep our focus on you, our attention on what we're doing, to pray with endurance, to pray with persistence, to pray according to your will. It sounds like a, quite an activity for us that we're being called to do, and it is, because it is that that builds our faith. And I, take the, I pray that we take this to heart today, Lord, that we take these simple thoughts and apply them in a way that would bring us closer to you, To love you more and to pray more earnestly. To pray more. I ask that today in Jesus' name. Amen.